Hi, I'm Zachary Fall. I'm Nadia Cavell. And I'm Ben Weaver Hinks. And you're listening to Migratives, the podcast championing migrant creatives in the UK. In this episode, we talk to Orion Lee, an Australian Chinese actor who works internationally. Since graduating from Lambda, Orion has appeared on stage in the world premiere of Enron and the Young Vic's production of Wild Swans, and on screen in the blockbuster Skyfall, Justice League, and Star Wars The Last Jedi. He can currently be seen in Kelly Reithart's acclaimed picture, First Cow, for which he recently earned a Gotham Award nomination for Breakthrough Actor. Orion joined us on the line from Perth to speak about his unusual route from finance to acting, the work he's doing to support representation of East Asian actors in the UK, and why he will always hold a special love for London. Oh, how exciting. I know. We're, I, I want to say we're live, but we're not live, are we? <laughs> but it feels like we are. But Ryan, where are you and what time is it where you are? Um, right now I'm sitting in Perth, Australia, and it is 7.33. Oh, wow. Okay, wow. yeah. You've, you've basically a whole day ahead of us, practically. Yeah. Obviously, you've, you've lived and worked in many different countries, continents even, and I wondered, given that background, how you identify culturally and what does home mean to you? Gosh, well, um, I guess I should say I was born in Hong Kong. I lived in Malaysia. I moved to Australia. And then I went to London and have spent the past uh, 12, 13 years there. Mm -hmm. And now I find myself uh, back in Australia for the moment, at least. I guess... I, I think of myself as um, culturally Chinese uh, and, I don't know, like Australian, British, Chinese. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because I guess in Hong Kong, I was just a, a baby, so I, I don't remember Hong Kong at all. Right. Malaysia was when I was in sort of primary school and, you know, th that mainly consisted of me going to school and coming back home. <laughs> and then the Australian is when, you know, high school onwards, you start to go out, you start to go to movies, you explore your, your world, and then university in Australia, and that's when you're suddenly becoming an adult and all of that sort of thing. So, you know, culturally Chinese, just because that's what I've grown up as, even though I'm not China Chinese, so I'm right, right, uh, Malaysian Chinese. So I, I don't know. It's hard to say, like I don't. I really kind of just look at myself as a, I guess first and foremost a human being. I feel close to uh, Australia and to Britain mainly because those are the main places I've lived and grown up in during my life. Um, but I've spent some time in America, living in America. Um, I spent time living in uh, Switzerland. So, you know, I guess I think of myself as a citizen of the world. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know, I know exactly where you're coming from. I often struggle to find the right term as well. I think citizen of the world is probably the the best one there is out there, really. Yeah. And did you grow up bilingual then, or? Mm, so apparently when I was really young, I could speak Chinese, uh, but then um, that sort of dropped out. Um, and then for 
primary school that was in Malay, so I had to speak Malay, and but then that's kind of <laughs> again dropped out. <laughs> and then I did Sunday school Chinese, but that's <laughs> kind of weak, as it were. I did spend some time in Taiwan learning Mandarin just to brush it up a bit, and then I had a Swiss girlfriend who I met in Australia. <laughs> So, so that's when I studied some German. Nice. So, am I bilingual? No, I speak English as my primary language, and that's the one where I have, I guess, the mastery of it, so that I can act in it, you know. And yeah. Whereas the other ones, I can sort of parrot in a pinch, I guess,、um, I and and have some small basic understanding. But you know, having said that, because I'm Chinese, and I have that appearance. I have done various work, which、um, has required me to speak various dialects of Chinese. So, in your childhood, did you, or in your family, did you feel like the the arts were valued and encouraged? Like, was that something that was very prevalent, present in your family? I'm afraid I would have to say no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I knew the feeling. <laughs> <Yeah> . <laughs> <laughs> um, the term art house cinema, for example, did not exist in my family's household. And growing up in Australia, like growing up in Britain, I think you know, ninety percent of people have been to the theatre because it's just like you know, part of school. You'd go to a theatre trip, sort of thing. Whereas in Australia, ninety、uh, percent of people have not been to the theatre because it's not part of the. Sort of fabric of the culture, I guess.、Mm. So I didn't really understand the industry or what it was all about、uh, until quite late in my life. And I always liked to do a lot of different things. At university, for example, I did accounting, but I also did Spanish and psychology and radio journalism. And, right. And then you know when I started working in.、Um, In funds management, I did different courses. I this was over university and then into into working in finance. I'm not sure what exactly what the timeline is, but like I did a course on Swedish massage. I did a course <laughs> on、um, security guarding. I did a course on bonsai, and、yeah. one of the things I did was acting. Right. And then I was like, oh. I enjoy this. I'm going to do another course, and it was like you know, just on weekends. And then I did a third one, a fourth one, and then around that sort of time, I was just hitting that point in my life where I, I sort of was looking for a change, really. And it took me a while, but I arranged things so that I could take a sabbatical, I guess.、Um, right. I, so I did various short courses, and then I did a, a play in a in a church hall. Um, you know where everybody chips in and paints the set,、mm. and then and there was a a little old lady who would regularly come and bring her own popcorn. <laughs> 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 and、um, after about six months of that, I thought, oh wow, actually, you know what, I I want to take this to the next level. I don't really know how, and I like the concept of training and studying, and I enjoy learning new things. So I thought,、mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to go. And apply to NIDA in Sydney、mm-hmm. um, because that's where I was living at the time. And I got to the final round and I didn't get in. And the person 
there, who was the head of acting there at the time, said in a very nice way, actually, um, he basically said that I wouldn't get work in Australia because of the way I look. And it was kind of completely true back then. About 12 to 15 years ago, there's nothing. Right, right. Wow. So he said, because the point of the money that you spend doing all this study is to then get introduced to the industry and then to get work. Like the point of paying all that money is not to just then not do anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, he wanted to give me the uh, unvarnished truth, as it were. Yeah. And said, um, you know, you should go to Singapore or um, Hong Kong or China. But I knew that I only spoke English well. Right. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to uh, I'll either go to America or, or Britain. And at the time, without actually knowing, uh, because I I didn't know anybody who was an actor and I haven't been to these places myself. I had the assumption that Britain was more training oriented and the US was a bit more short courses and sort of try and break it through sort of thing. Yeah. Mm. And I and I liked the concept of training and I also was sort of um, conservative in my estimation of myself and the possibilities. So I thought, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll go and I'll train and I'll come out and I'll have learned something new. And if nothing happens, then, you know, I'll come back to Australia and, and work in finance. And, you know, later on, I did learn, yes, there's, you know, these conservatories in the US and, you know, there's great training there as well. But um, at the time, I thought it was really only in the uk so i see um so i went to the uk and applied everywhere mm -hmm. bristol vic drama center uh lambda rada central birmingham uh, liverpool wow. because i didn't know anything and it was also a kind of like a getting to know the different drama schools and the situation as well yeah mm -hmm. yeah and then i got um accepted into a couple <clears throat> few and um in the end i chose lambda and yeah it was a brilliant time of my life really yeah, because everything was so new there yeah. were a few other people in my class who were they'd done acting before so they had opinions on acting and i had done a few courses but everything to me was like wow this is amazing yeah so to me every class was just fascinating and interesting whereas some other people in my class had opinions where this is a good technique and that is not and for me everything was like wow <laughs> <laughs> it was all novel to you yeah and then towards the end uh, i got picked up by jeremy conway who's an institution really in the in the agency business in the uk he got me the edition for enron and and then i did enron the play and orion how did your your family and your friends react to such a big shift in direction from finance to acting i mean i think my father would have had a heart attack <laughs> <laughs> well I guess because I, I came to it late, I'd already done 10 years in funds management. And wow. they, they kind of knew that, I think the main thing, you know, my family wants from me is that they, they want to know that I can take care of myself. And, and so I'd already proven that, I guess. Mm. And so going into a, an industry which is much more sort of volatile and so on and so forth, um, they were not 
necessarily for it, but they were not against it either. <laughs> I got you. Yeah. I see. And it is one of those things where I do remember it took me a while, quite a while actually, for me to consider myself an actor, mm-hmm. for me to change that part of myself. Because, you know, for so long I, I defined myself as something else. And then to change that definition of yourself took quite a while. Yeah. You know, my father also took quite a while to, um, he never said anything bad, never, never discouraged me or anything like that. But I think it also took him a while to adjust to the idea. And then, you know, my mom and my sister would just, oh, fine. Okay, great. You're doing that. <laughs> <laughs> a bit more enthusiastic, I guess. Um, yeah, for them, it's just, it was just immediately, okay, that's what you're doing. Right. Yeah. Mm. And what did it take for you to see yourself as an actor then? Well, for me, it starts with the practical thing of getting a job as an actor. Mm-hmm. And that's probably kind of like the main milestone, really. Well, so it was that first job in, in Enron, the play, that was, okay, you know, I'm an actor. And on a more sort of philosophical level, I guess, it, 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 the main thing was the process of finding out that who I was was an actor. Uh, and what, what I mean by that is that I've always found it hugely interesting, the, the concept of psychology, of sociology, philosophy, you know, the examination of yourself, the concept of changing yourself. Yeah. I've always found those subjects incredibly interesting and i'd read books on you know philosophy and psychology and and then i found acting Mm. and i realized wow this is all of the subjects i'm interested in in a kind of one spot in 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 a job yeah and also the i love the concept of living many lives in one life Mm. and Mm. you know learning so many different sort of skills and ways of living and acting's constantly this idea of like what if you know your life was slightly different what if you grew up in this environment you had this happen to you in your past you know what makes you the way you are yeah Mm -hmm. i guess that ties into you when you were still in in finance or at university like wanting to try many different things i guess that's a very actory trait if i can call it that yeah exactly yeah so it's just that it was slowly coming to that realization that all the things that I enjoy are in this thing called acting. Yeah. And you mentioned that, you know, you got to that last round when you auditioned for the Australian school and mm-hmm. they told you that there just wouldn't be any work for you. Um, did yeah. you have the same sort of apprehension when you came to the UK or did you did you just think, well, let, let's try my luck there and see what happens? Well, it's a funny thing of, of, of planning, but not thinking too far ahead. Yeah. Um, the only thing that I wanted at that point in time was to get the training of an actor. Yeah. So I must admit, I didn't like look at it and go, oh, okay, here's an opportunity because the UK is further on in diversity than Australia. Or, you know, I didn't do an analysis of like, you know, the US versus the UK. I just sort of said, you know what, I want, I want training. And where do I think I'm going to get the best training? And at the time, like I said, I didn't know about the conservatories in the US. And I thought, okay, well, UK it is. Mm. Right, yeah. 
Uh, Ryan, I, I just wanted to pick up on, you know, you've mentioned Enron, which looking back on it now, obviously we all know what a monumental production it was kind of culturally and it's still very much, mm. I think, uh, is, is something that people refer back to. Uh, you mentioned that as it was your sort of first real job, that it began to instill in you this idea that you were an actor. But did did it dawn on you in any way that this was a significant production to start your career in? Uh, not really. Uh, <laughs> mm. Not really in a sense. And, and what it was, was this. At the time, yeah, I was up for two things. One was Skins, the TV show. Mm. And the other was this play, Enron, uh, which was being done by Rupert Gould. And I had seen a play of his called Six Characters in Search of an Author, and I was blown away by it. And I thought, wow, this, this play was like a fascinating examination of the difference between theater acting and film and TV acting. Mm. And I'll be honest with you, what I've always kind of like aimed for or wanted in my life was the screen acting. But I looked at skins and i looked at the opportunity to work with rupert gould and i just picked it based on him really mm -hmm. on his work which i'd seen and recognized um and skins at the time you know it was a tv show but uh you know it was just starting out and uh, and i hadn't seen it and I, I didn't know much about it all the people that were working on it maybe that was you know ignorance on my part but I'd seen Rupert Gould's work and I'd loved it. And and I guess I, that's the other thing I recommend to people is just choose your work, not based on the project, but based on the people, I guess. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, that's why it's important also to do your research as much as you can. A lot of the time, quite frankly, you don't get a choice. You just get what's given to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even when I was back in investing days, I was always like, you know, I always had this belief that you had to work with people who are good and able. And that's just been a constant theme in my life. I always try and find people who are good and able. Mm. And then when I read the play, I didn't really understand much about it. I still find it quite hard to imagine things, I guess, off a script sometimes. Mm. So, you know, I didn't know what it could be and what it was going to be made into. I don't, I don't know whether anybody had any idea that that was going to be this kind of like as successful as it was in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, people often talk about the lessons they learn early on in their professional life. And I just wondered in those early jobs that you had, what were your big takeaways? I mean, with that one, it was, <laughs> oh gosh. <sighs> There is one particular lesson which I learned <laughs> was that in the final act, in the finale, not even the final act, of in the finale, Sam West's character is put in prison. And so on stage, what happens is he goes from a suit and then all the ensemble help him and take his suit apart. And he's left in prison clothes in that sort of orange suit. So... My job was to put on a shoe and pull down his pant leg because it's like rolled up underneath the suit. And there was one time where I think I had some issues with putting on the shoe and I was running out of time and I knew the lights were going to come back on because it, it, like he stays on stage and then it goes dark and we all come on, help him, and then it goes light again. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have time. 
the lights are going to come on. I don't want to be standing there in the light alone with him when I'm not supposed to be there at all. So I got the shoe on and I ran off. And he had to do the whole final monologue with one pant leg up. <laughs> and the thing is, in the scene, he's in prison and his hands are cuffed behind him. Oh, God. So he couldn't put <laughs> his pant, own pant leg down. He, so he just stood there with the whole, in the whole scene with this kind of like, with his knees bare, <laughs> or one knee bare. Oh, no. And oh. that's when I learned that whatever it is, you need to clear the stage or complete the action. Yeah. And it doesn't matter yeah. if you're still on stage. Yeah. And the same thing goes for, you know, if something drops, you know, there's a, a I don't know, a ball which drops and it's, it's just lying there and you're not supposed to be there or you're not still just go on, pick it up and then go off, even though you're not supposed to be in the scene at all. Mm -hmm. Because if it sits there, it distracts for the whole scene yeah so that was a very important lesson that i learned <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i think that's really interesting and what you say about the um you know that one object that's left on so often in a show you will see a cast just kind of leave something and then it'll be the most experienced actor on the stage who just walks across and throws it off yeah. because i think they they sort of know from experience the effect that that has on an audience. Yeah, I wanted I wanted to um, to change course slightly. I kn I know that you have provided for a number of years a bursary, um, the Constellation Creatives Bursary, which yeah. promotes participation and representation of East Asian actors on stage and screen in the UK. Mm -hmm. I just wondered if you could tell us a little bit about this and why it was important for you to do it. Yeah. So you know, diversity is uh, an issue. I think it's much more in people's sort of consciousness now and they're, and they're aware of it. Um, but even now there's still a way to go. Mm. But um, I, I remember at university, I was doing law and I had to go to a law court and it was the first time to the law court. And at the time, my only exposure to the law courts was L.A. Law, <laughs> which was a TV show where, you know, all the all the men are suited and all the women, uh, you know, like supermodels and all the men have like square jaws, you know, and then they're fighting these court battles. And it's so fascinating and there's so much drama and it's exciting. And and I remember thinking to myself, you know what, that's not going to be what it's all about at all, but I'm going to go to the law court. And I arrived there and I was, I remember feeling in my, in my gut, shocked at how boring it was. Oh. <laughs> because it was like paint peeling off the walls and then there was this board judge and all these board people saying, okay, and the next case, case number 9732, Da, 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 da. We find this judgment and da, 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 and next. And it was like, I was amazed. And what I was amazed by was also how I knew, you know, it wasn't going to be like LA law. This was reality. This is real life. And yet I was shocked by it. Now, why did, why was that? It was because I did not have any other frame of reference. Mm -hmm. So when I thought law court, I could only use that show, mm. this, this discrepancy, oh, what, huh? And that's when I realized the power of media, how it shapes our expectations. And yes, if you have direct experience, 
then you can be somewhat a bit more sort of knowledgeable about the facts. But if you don't, even if you're a logical human being, you just go by what you've seen. And that's the memory that you have. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why representation is so important because if you don't have any other frame of reference, and if the only frame of reference you have is that people of a particular skin color are, are immigrants and don't belong here or any number of things, then it just causes issues. And the issues are not, again, you can be a completely logical human being and you'll still be affected in a kind of like unconscious way. Yeah. And so that's why diversity is important, especially in these times, you know, there's so much division. Getting used to seeing other faces, other cultures, other ways of life, other possibilities, and knowing that, you know, these are people are human and have loves and hates and despair and joy. It's really important. And the bursary is sort of, I think in the British East Asian acting community, people are all supportive of diversity and everybody does their own thing and their own bit. And I think it's important to support that and people can support it in different ways because some people may go out on protests, some people may organize readings of plays or regular get-togethers or a WhatsApp group or whatever. And all of it's valid. It doesn't have to be one way of supporting, but I think everybody should support good things and diversity is a good thing for social harmony, I guess, really, and, and us learning to get along with each other. Mm. And so that's the bursary, really, is trying to support a graduating East Asian acting student and give them a bit of a, a boost up in terms of their exposure. And it's been in conjunction with the Yellow Theatre and Kumiko Mendo, who's the artistic director there, has done a fantastic job in getting on board the BBC casting director, the RSC casting director, and the National Theatre casting directing team as well. And, um, and yeah, so that's that. <laughs> I think it's, it's really fantastic. And I think it's a great example of the sort of thing people can do if they want to, if they want to sort of actively get involved in promoting mm. diversity and representation. I wondered if representation is something that you are actively aware of when you are working yourself and when you're up on stage or on screen? So when I was doing Enron, I, I wasn't really that aware of it. It was when I was doing Wild Swans. Mm. I don't know whether it was the first fully East Asian cast, you know, in a main stage theater at the Young Vic. I don't know if that's historically accurate or not, but um, it certainly was a big deal for me and uh, and for the cast, I think. And because I was a lead actor, and I felt the responsibility. And that is actually when I started to reach out to, you know, Yellow Theatre and get involved. So am I aware? Yes. But having said that, my main responsibility is to represent a human being. Yeah. And I think in that process, then I represent East Asians the best, I guess. Well, over the past decade, you've worked with many of the UK's most admired directors, whether that's Rupert Gould, Vicky Featherston, uh, Trevor Nunn, the list goes on. And you've you've also been involved in some major Hollywood projects, James Bond films, Skyfall, uh, DC Comics, Justice League and Star Wars The Last Jedi. I mean, it's quite a, a roll call of um, of jobs. I just wondered if this is the sort of career you imagined for yourself when you set out on your acting journey. <laughs> um, like I said, everything's always been like one step in front of the other, I guess. 
because you know when I went to Lambda, I was like, okay, I'm just going to go do training. You know, we'll see how it goes. And then I got a wonderful agent, and I was like, mm -hmm. okay, great. <laughs> then I was in a wonderful play, and I was like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> and then the next year, by the way, after working for a year on Enron, the next year was was one year of no work, basically. I had six days of paid work. I counted them. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, after working on an amazing play with this amazing director and an amazing team and, and so successful, one year of no work. But in that time, I did do, you know, various things. I set up um, a group getting together regularly, doing doing plays and doing readings to each other and so on and so forth. And that was called Constellation Creatives. And then eventually the bursary came out of that as well. And um, I did a play in the Edinburgh Festival, which I remember one particular night where one person came and bought a ticket mm -hmm. and two staff came along so that that one person wasn't alone in the room watching the play. <laughs> we had a very similar experience. We know, yeah. we know your pain. We know that <laughs> famous Edinburgh, one person in the room. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and that was after being in the West End with sold out shows. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely humbling. Yeah, yeah. A volatile up and down industry that we work in. <laughs> For sure. I guess so everything, you know, every, at every moment, it's just sort of taking it, each thing as it comes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I guess, okay, this is going to sound bad, but trying not to dream too big in the sense of, more in the sense of trying to be in the present moment. Yeah. Right? yeah. Not going off too much into fantasy land, although, of course, we all do that and that's natural. But utilize that acting thing, which is be in the present moment, don't wander off and be present and with that other person in the room or in that moment yeah and, and love where you are now whether that be the opportunity to watch a film or to read a script or to audition for something and you know not be too concerned about what else is out there or what the future may hold or mm. absolutely yeah i think that's uh that's a really useful philosophy I, and you've kind of partly answered my next question but i just wondered if you could tell us what success looks like to you or if, if that's even a concept that you really identify with gosh success um i guess first thing to understand is that success is is something which you have to learn how to define for yourself and try and make that definition that you choose achievable, you know, within your means, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, you control it and you are the master of that success. And what, what do I mean by that? I mean, like, uh, like say, the audition process. Uh, I think it was um, Brian Cranston, actually, who said his attitude towards auditioning completely changed when he, he thought of it as the opportunity to act, the opportunity to show his craft, and not to think about the thing past that. Because the thing is, the thing past that, the getting of the job, the getting of the role, it's, it's not within your control. But the opportunity for you to show your craft, to study this character, to perhaps go out and research some new skill and learn it and put it on that camera or, or show it in that room, that is what you can do and that's what you can define as your success. Mm. I think it's very important to have your definition of success be things which are achievable and important to you, not what somebody else controls in the world and may or may not give to you or it may or may not come to you. 
I think that will resonate with a lot of people, actually. Um, I mean, on the subject of success, you were recently in the Kelly Reichardt drama, First Cow. Yes. Which has received a really incredible response from critics um, and audiences. I just wondered if you could tell us a little bit about the project and the character you play in it. Sure. So, you know, first of all, it's Kelly Reichardt is amazing, an author, and it's definitely her film. Uh, and I'm playing a part in it. And it really was a dream job in the sense of, again, of the, the team of people that you're working with, the producers, the art director, the director, the cinematographer, sound, everybody. It was just, it was really um, like a family atmosphere. And, and, you know, a lot of that is down, I think, to Kelly and also to the producers, Anish Sabjani and um, Neil Kopp at Film Science. And then in terms of um, you know how I got the job, it was really my manager in the U.S. who, gosh, okay. So going back, there was I was in the U.K. and I had this quiet period, and I was like, what am I going to do? I'm going to try and look at the U.S. So I went over there and tried to uh, meet managers and um, and agents, and really it was it was almost impossible to meet anybody without an introduction and so um, luckily I also asked then my UK agent to introduce me to a few people and then I met um, Matthew Lesher who's my manager now and then went back to the UK then came back and Matthew got me into a whole bunch of meetings with amazing people like you know CBS and NBC and all, all these like amazing studios and so on and I was like oh wow okay great that was in like the September, October period uh, before pilot season so that people have time during that time because during pilot season, everybody is just busy working. They don't have time to meet people. Then I went for pilot season and I sat in my in my Airbnb and did nothing. <laughs> and in fact, I auditioned for a, for a TV show in London whilst I was over in LA. <laughs> you know, I was so excited because I, I had met all these wonderful people, but then Nobody called me. <laughs> so I went back and I was disappointed. And I was like, okay, well, you know, that's that. And then Matthew called and said, look, there's this uh, movie by Kelly Reichardt and they're interested in you. Mm. And actually at the time he said that she likes to see people, you know, in a film as opposed to an audition. But I, although I'd done leads in plays, I always had small parts in these films and TV shows. So there was nothing of length that she could look at. Right. So in the end, she did send me two scenes and I uh, self-taped off those two scenes hmm. and then did a Skype conversation with her and then redid the self-tape and then had some email notes and then redid the self-tape one more time. Hmm. Yeah. And then I got told I got the job and hmm. it was, yeah, unbelievably exciting and also nerve-wracking. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> it made me think actually that um, I spent half my time when I'm not working, pretending that I'm not an actor so that, you know, I'm, I'm just concentrating and being in the present moment, doing whatever I happen to be doing. And when I am in a job, then I spend the other half of my time pretending I'm an actor. <laughs> you know, that sense of uh, imposter syndrome. Oh, yeah. so I remember whenever I had spare time, I was in the... Uh, library in Portland in the acting department, reading books about acting, 
I was like going through the script and I'd read a book about acting and I'd go, oh my gosh, that's a great idea. I'm going to use that. And then, <laughs> and then going back to my script and then going back to a book. And, you know, I think it, I think it is important because I think it's, there are, I know there are some professional actors who have coaches, right. but I use books really because I, I'm a, very much a believer in you don't know what you don't know. So <laughs> if I looked at a script and I look at a scene and I'm working on it, then I can only do all those things that I know. But when, so when you have a coach or when you have a book and you're reading about all these different sort of ideas or theories or, or sometimes just to be reminded of things you might already know, but you, you've just forgotten or, and then you go, okay, I can apply that to this scene that's in front of me right now. Mm. And I think it, it just helps to deepen the work because you've got different ideas which aren't in your head yeah yeah so i was i was in the portland library <laughs> a lot <laughs> that's fantastic and all right in terms of what you bring to your uh, jobs you say you look at books and all that and do you find that all your experiences from living in so many different countries experiencing so many different industries even from those various countries and the people and yourself having worked different professions how does that feed into your work well definitely with in terms of king lu the character i play in first cow he's definitely an itinerant himself right mm. you know been traveling on on ships and been trying all sorts of different uh, business schemes and then finally and still a failure actually mm. effectively but you know what's kind of lovable about him is that he's still trying, <laughs> yeah. still giving it a go. So I think that the thing with art is you have to kind of find what it is that's unique that you can give. So when you say all those things, you know, my travels, my jobs and everything, yes, it all feeds in, but not in a kind of like analytical way it's it just all feeds me in, into me as a person yeah and what i can bring to a role is my uniqueness i guess uh, and all of those things combined which make me unique because of all my experiences because um, it, it, it's so tempting to try and be who you think people want yeah. right <laughs> yeah and really really that means that you're going to be drawing on your cliches really on your ideas of uh i don't know a soldier or ideas of a waiter or ideas of a teacher or whatever it is yeah but what is really kind of unique is when you kind of use that meisner thing of like what if you know what if you were this person mm -hmm. what if you orion were this person what if you orion was in a situation where you have been traveling around the world and and you've been unsuccessful at so many different business ventures but you don't really think about that you know you try to remain positive you you try and find the next new thing and so you keep putting yourself in this situation mm. and then it becomes unique only you can give that performance yeah but it's not you don't have to worry that you know people think that that's you because it's not you it's it's you if you know it's you if you let that life it's you if you were in that situation yeah but if you put you in there then it is a unique performance which you know only you can give 
That's so true. It's so useful, I think, for actors generally as well to think of, as you say, not to fall in the cliches to try and give what you think they want rather than actually what they want is you and your experiences. Yeah. You know, with that if, in that magic if. With that if, of course. Yeah. yeah. In terms of the various industries that you've worked in, mm -hmm. um, so you've worked in the Australian industry, you've had experiences with the American industry as well, and the British industry. Focusing on the British industry, what, what are its core strengths and what could it fix or what could it look at in other industries to better itself? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I haven't really worked in Australia. I was an amateur in Australia and I did some initial study in Australia, but my two main sort of exposures uh, into the acting industries is mainly in Britain and then a little bit in the US. Um, I think that, you know, coming from London and living in London, what's special about London is the, the combination of um, theatre, film and television that's all in one city, in one spot. Yeah. Whereas in the US, it is very much like theatres on the East Coast and then sort of film and televisions on the West Coast. And because of that, maybe, it's also quite separate in terms of, like, for example, the casting directors. You know, casting directors who are working TV don't really go to theatre, and the ones who work in film don't really go to theatre. And mm -hmm. Whereas in, the, in London, it's very much, you know, everybody draws from every other creative, you know, theatre, film, and television. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is that the UK is a little bit more dependent on uh, on funding, uh, government funding and the Arts Council and British Film Institute. And there's less money for film and TV. Uh, the budgets are smaller, generally speaking, than in the US. But the US also is more capitalist, more commercially oriented. Mm -hmm. it's, there's more money and it has to make money. Whereas in the UK, you can, I think there's a greater uh, diversity of stories and ideas which gets made because of the funding sources. Right. So I I wouldn't really change too much about both of them because I think it's, again, you know, I, I think it's great that there's that diversity of method and funding and it brings out different types of shows and different types of stories mm -hmm. um, because there are different systems. So I think they they both have their their pluses and minuses, and yeah, it's good that there's these two sort of systems. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. So about the UK industry, then again, mm -hmm. how did it change over recent years? Did you feel it it evolved much between when you started and where it is now? Obviously, with COVID, that will have had an impact quite recent and large. But mm. what about over that longer period of time? I I love the theatre industry in the UK. I think it is more forward-thinking. Mm. I remember going to the National Theatre and watching War Horse, and the lead male was a white guy, and his mother was a, an Indian woman, and it was like, it was wonderful, because it, in that first instance, you go, oh, then you let that go, and you're just immersed in the story, and because, you know, you're an active audience member, and you can use your imagination, and and then film and TV was a bit behind the times in terms of diversity. It's getting better, but you know, there's still work which needs to be done. And you can't ever sort of, uh, you always have to be, you know, working at making things better. And that's a good thing. So yeah, it's gotten better in terms of diversity, but it still needs work. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. Do you find that diversity of 
migrant experiences is important as well in terms of what their experience within the UK and how they are received in the UK. And I'm talking more like first generations and people who might have stronger accents and truly have just come from a different culture or country. Yeah, I think certainly the show is set in London. There really should be a great diversity of accents and languages. And yeah, you don't have to have a particular accent to then be defined as British because there's so many different you know, sounds. And again, it's that thing of the different voices, the different, the uniqueness, the different unique stories which can be told and the different colors and shades that can enrich the telling of a story because there's so many different backgrounds. And um, mm. yeah, I think it's, a, it's always a missed opportunity when somebody uses a cliche from their brain. Mm. whether it be in their writing or in their acting or in their storytelling, because you're missing out on the depth of humanity when you draw from a cliche. Yeah. I was just wondering, you were saying about how Britishness is, is so vast and diverse and we shouldn't be so limited in terms of our accents. Do you feel like the British industry has a way to go there? in terms of being more inclusive on that front? Yes, I, I do, because um, I think um, there is a kind of inertia, I guess, which happens, you know. Um, people go from what they've seen or what they know, but what you know is in your past. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not your future. It's not necessarily even your present. Mm. So if you keep going from what you know or what you know you've seen, then you'll just do what's in the past. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, there, it, definitely in the past, there isn't that diversity. Yeah. So if you continue to go, oh, well, that's not how it's done, or that hasn't been how it's done for the past you know, 50 years, or I'm just going to do what I know, or mm -hmm. then you know, you're not going to get that change and that diversity, which is more representative of humanity yeah. yeah so yeah what are your hopes then for the future whether it's for the industry as a whole and and for yourself uh for myself you know i hope i can you know it's it's every actor's dream to be able to do the job full-time as it were mm -hmm. and that's my hope in terms of the industry i guess that i continue to get to see these stories which represent humanity and represent humanity well and that promote this um social harmony and shows how much we can learn from each other and of what great benefit it is that we work together and yeah. try and advance as human beings. Absolutely. And I guess to end on a sort of playful question as, as a migrant to the UK, like for example, I found that um, I definitely picked up on the tea drinking, like I now need one to two teas a day to function. <laughs> um, <laughs> what has become um, more British about me? Is there anything like that that you can identify uh, having spent some years in the UK now? Well, I guess it to me, as I moved into, you know, the central part of London uh, and lived uh, in Tottenham Court Road. And to me, that area sort of Soho all the way through down to South Bank. Mm. It's just so, I love walking through that area because there's just so much, there's just so much, uh, mm -hmm. you know, humanity, there's 
there's strip shops there's there's um <laughs> gay clubs there's uh there's officers doing games there's doing film there's film editing there's restaurants from every corner of the world like chinese restaurants they're not just chinese restaurants anymore they're, they're from uh, nanjing or from beijing or from shanghai or from hong kong right and all the food oh my gosh you know the <laughs> Malaysian, the Turkish, the Italian, the fusion, the yeah. seafood, the uh, fish and chips. The pub um, food, yeah, the good old pub food. The vegan food now. The, everything. Um, and then, you know, and the British Museum and the art galleries and the Tate and the National Theatre and that walk, you know, across the Thames and the bridges and, you know, seeing St. Paul's there and and all the skyscrapers. I mean, that's that to me is being British. That's beautiful. Fantastic. Yeah. What a love letter to London, actually. That's yeah, so yeah. true. Ah, oh, I do miss it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Orion. It's been really special to talk to you today. And um, I know uh, time zone wise, we. Uh, we managed to bridge the gap between London and Perth. So um, thanks so much for making that happen. Pleasure, pleasure. It's been great. You've been listening to Migratives, a podcast produced by Woven Voices. Migratives is created and hosted by Nadia Cavell, Zachary Fall, and Ben Weaver-Hinks. Our music is by Guy Hughes, and our artwork is designed by Lucy Stapleton-Smith. To support the podcast, you can rate, review, and subscribe on the platform of your choice. And to find out more about our work, follow Woven Voices on social media, or check out our website, wovenvoices.org. <laughs>